Thanks for tuning in to the Voyage Church Podcast. Our desire is that today's message will be significant for all of us on the voyage of becoming. We cannot not talk about the Holy Spirit leading up to Pentecost. And so if you don't know, here's kind of a, a, a quick breakdown for you. Jesus rises from the dead, and for 40 days while he's alive after death, so he's in a resurrected body, you can see the holes in his hands and his feet, he reveals himself to over 500 people at one time, but for over a 40-day period, he continues to reveal himself to people. Um, and then on the 40-day mark, he ascends. And 40 is a very important word. He was 40 days in the desert um, with the temptation. The Israelites were 40 um, years in the wilderness. Like all the 40, 40 all throughout Scripture means preparation. So Jesus for 40 days is preparing them for something. On day 40, he ascends. And for the next 10 days... There's 120 people that gather in what's called an upper room. It's just most houses would have been set where there was a, a staircase on the outside where you could, if it had more than one room, the second room would be on that second story. And they would gather up there for 10 days fasting and praying because Jesus said, don't leave Jerusalem, wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's two factors that are very important here. Number one, I don't know how you grew up in church, but I grew up learning about Father, Son, Holy Bible. We didn't talk about Holy Spirit a whole lot. And the issue there was is a lot of people stay away from the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is weird in their mind. And I need you to know this whole series, Holy Spirit's not weird. He's wild. People are weird. They would be weird without the Holy Spirit, okay? They would. Holy Spirit is about empowerment, closeness, and personalizing our relationship with God the Father. Now, for Pentecost to happen and, and the Holy Spirit to be made available for us, here's the other layer for that, is that you and I will, if Pentecost doesn't happen, we're just looking at something going, okay, cool, Jesus died on the cross for my sins, but how does this impact and empower me? But the Holy Spirit, when Jesus says, wait for the promise, here's the craziest part. I went to Bible college for several years, okay? Most people would ask, where do you go to Bible college? And they assume if I went to Bible college, then you must be equipped and educated to do ministry. Ironically, the disciples had no Bible college. The Bible actually tells us in Acts 2 that in verse 47, I believe, it says, they saw that these were unschooled, ordinary men, but they took note that they had been with Jesus. Do you know what, you want to know what the disciples' education background for ministry was? That they had been with Jesus. But do you want to know what wasn't enough for their ministry? Being with Jesus. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, don't leave Jerusalem until the promise comes. Once the promise comes, go therefore, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So you're telling me, three years of Bible college with Jesus, and Jesus still told them, don't leave until the Holy Spirit comes. They were in the greatest internship on the planet, y'all. They walked with Jesus for three years, and Jesus said, don't you go out and do any ministry until the promise comes. So the Holy Spirit is a necessity for us to walk in the fullness of Christ. Romans tells us the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives within us. That's the Holy Spirit, okay? So those last 10 days, May 28th is Pentecost Sunday. We're going to celebrate our last Sunday in here. I do know that's Memorial Day weekend. If you want to skip our last day at Pea Ridge Elementary, you go ahead. I ain't missing it. I'm going to be in the room. But Pentecost is on the 28th. For the last 10 days, from Passover to Pentecost, those two festivals for the Jews were 50 days apart. From Passover to Pentecost, the Lord was preparing to personalize the power. I gave you that, didn't I? Preacher language. Y'all can laugh. It's fine. Okay, wasn't funny. So I'm just going to read the Bible. Luke 3.16 says this. This is John the Baptist. He says, John answered and said to them all, as for me, I baptize with water. But one, capital O, one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire. Why did Jesus come? To die on the cross for my sins. And? to be raised to life. And I don't know. I think that's it. He came to baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire. He came to personalize the power of God in your life so that we're not just impressed, we're empowered. We're empowered. So if we look at the Bible in fullness, here's four statements I was talking with Shauna yesterday the Lord gave me to kind of show you. I want you to write these down if you're taking notes. The first one is this. 
In the beginning of the Bible, it is God made us. In the beginning, it is God made us. The second one is, in Bethlehem, Jesus is born. We would call him Emmanuel. And this means God with us. Now, on the cross at Calvary, Jesus is God for us. It is God dying on our behalf. Do you want to know why it would be a tragedy for you and I to stop short before Pentecost? Because Pentecost is God in us. We need this. This is a must. This is a me realizing after growing up in a very traditional background where I was told the Holy Spirit was weird and he's just kind of there and just kind of only mention him when you say Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and that's about it. And I realized one day, God, I, I am in danger of living my entire life, getting to heaven and him saying, well done, but there was more. Do you realize that every gift that the Holy Spirit brings, every empowerment that he gives you, can only work this side of heaven? There's not a single spiritual gift that the Holy Spirit that can, can provide for you that would make any sense in heaven. You know, it makes me think of whenever Jesus was praying in the garden before he was crucified, and he was like, the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. And him knowing he was about to send the spirit to empower them. Because if Jesus' body was weak when he had the spirit, man, how much more would he know that if we didn't have the spirit, we wouldn't make it? We wouldn't make it. I want you to know that your life of following Jesus hinges on you having a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. So what we're going to do is we're going to give you three things this morning. Three things, and we're all we're wrapping it around this one question this week, is who is he? Who is he regarding the Holy Spirit? If you grew up thinking the Holy Spirit was an it or a force or a presence, that's theologically incorrect. Not right. Holy Spirit is a person of the triune God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, okay? God, God in heaven on the throne. Jesus, God in the flesh. Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God who was in and on Jesus, and now he has poured it out for us. In the upper room, the Holy Spirit was poured out, and then if you go read the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit is constantly being poured out on people. All the way to Acts 19, which I remember someone who didn't believe like I did. I didn't believe about the power of the Holy Spirit they tried to discredit Acts 19, and, and Sean and I talked about this last service. I'm just a studier. I'm going to dig. I'm going to know that I know that I know. I'm going to look in the original language. I'm going to define. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal his truth. Do you know that when people get baptized in the Holy Spirit in Acts 19, I had someone tell me, oh, that's just because they weren't in the upper room. That only happened in the upper room and then a couple other cases because they just didn't happen to be there, so it doesn't happen anymore. Until I did the study to realize Acts 19 is 25 years after the day of Pentecost. So you're telling me that people got baptized in the Holy Spirit, spoke in tongues, and prophesied 25 years after the day of Pentecost? It gives us a revelation that consistently the Spirit is being poured out and empowering people even 25 years after the upper room. And so for you and I, this is... This is a must. Now, I know when I just said prophecy in tongues, someone was like, all right, we out. We ain't come back to this church. This church is weird. There are some of you in the room, you were actually taught to believe that speaking in tongues was demonic. And I need you to know that that is the most biblically inaccurate statement I have ever heard, blasphemous even. It's not found anywhere in Scripture. Where speaking in tongues is mentioned, there are three kinds there is speaking in tongues where you speak a known language that you don't know and God gives it to you. We have met missionaries that have gone overseas and woke up knowing the language by heart, never being taught it. Why? Because the Holy Spirit needed them to get the gospel to that tribe in that language. Then there are speaking in tongues where someone speaks in an unknown language in a service or in a gathering of believers and someone gives an interpretation. That interpretation has to line up with the word and it has to build up the body of Christ. It can't tear down the body of Christ. The apostle Paul says if it happens more than two or three times, he says this in 1 Corinthians 14, in a service he said you should leave because the spirit of God's not there because they're more caught up in a gift than the giver of the gifts. And then the third kind of tongues is the kind of tongues that I'm, I'm going here already. I, we haven't even said point one. I'm talking about gifts in a few weeks. But this is a turnoff for a lot of people. 
and I need you to know, like, as your pastor, I'll just go ahead and throw it out there. We're only a little over a year in. I pray in tongues every single Sunday at this church. There's not been a Sunday I've not prayed in tongues in this church. Do you want to know what's never happened to me? Not a single person has walked up and said, you're distracting me. Why are you doing that? You're making it about you. They've never said it. You want to know why? Because it's a private prayer language, which is the third kind of tongues, and it's between me and the Lord, and it's not for anyone else. It's for the edification of the saints, according to 1 Corinthians in the first nine verses, and that word edify in the Greek, it means to be rebuilt and reconstructed. I don't know about you, but there's Sundays I don't want to be here. Life is real, babies are crazy, and there are days where all I can do is pray in the Spirit, and it builds me up and edifies me to be prepared. So I just want to ruin the notion that it's kooky or weird to believe in the Holy Spirit. It's not. But if we're going to go there, this whole thing can be viewed that way. But I think sometimes when you don't hear about something as often as the other supernatural things like Jesus dying on a cross and then resurrecting in three days, we believe that. That's supernatural. All of it is. But we hear about one more than the other. And so I think God understands, right, that we need to be led and guided in this she, she just dropped more knowledge on you than you were ready for let's be honest if someone wants to call us weird we're weird we believe that god sent his only son through a virgin that he lived perfect that his blood paid our substitutionary death and then he killed death and then revealed his resurrected body to people for 40 days and then he ascended <sighs> Like, if we want to say we're weird, we're weird. But do not let someone who unhealthily operates, takes the things of God, unhealthily operates in them, let them define the things of God for you. We will allow the word of God and his truth to permeate any experience we've ever had because we'd rather have him and his truth than anything else. Now, I want to be clear. To have the Holy Spirit in this church, no one will ever look at you and say you have to speak in tongues. Not true. Can't find it in the Gospels. There's people who got the Holy Spirit, they spoke in tongues. There's people who got the Holy Spirit, they didn't speak in tongues. There's people who got the Holy Spirit and they prophesied. There's people who got the Holy Spirit and didn't prophesy. We, when it comes to the voyage of following Jesus, we are not putting anybody's formula. There is no formula. Yours can't look like theirs because you have a personal relationship with God. You get to go on your voyage of following Jesus. But the Holy Spirit, the question I ask you today, who is he? So point number one is this, write it down. He is a person. We want to talk about weird. Go ahead and meet someone who has a personal relationship with an it. Get a little awkward up in here. Just have like a really, like look, and young people, look, I'm guilty too, but like have you ever seen the videos or the, the pictures where someone takes a picture of someone with their cell phone and then they crop it out? And you look at a room, I don't know if you've seen these, they're crazy though. You can look at an entire restaurant and there's like maybe, you know, 60% of the people with phones in their faces and they crop the phones out and it just looks so eerie. We live in a culture where we have personal relationships with things. Holy Spirit is not a thing. He's a person. And God desires you and I to have a personal relationship with him. And so one of the things when Sean and I were, were going through this, we unpacked it through the women in the scripture. I know often that you'll hear about the disciples. The disciples follow Jesus. We, the picture in your mind is probably like the picture that was in my mind. These 12 guys follow Jesus. But it wasn't just 12 guys who followed Jesus. Look at Luke 8, 1 through 3. Soon afterward, Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns. Jesus went on tour, y'all. And villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. He took his 12 disciples with him, along with some of the women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's business manager. So we had some women that like, hey, these ladies, hey, Jesus, you, you want me in this ministry. I'm going to help. I'm going to help things structure, make sure we got resources. And look what it says. It says, Susanna and many other who, others who were contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. As we were talking about the power being made personalized, we kind of started looking at all the women throughout the Gospels that were there with Jesus. They were there. The women didn't scatter when all the disciples scattered. John was the only one at the cross. And I find it interesting that they understood what it was to have a personal relationship with Jesus. They were close. They were close with Jesus. I need you to know that what they were experiencing in a flesh sense with Jesus 
Jesus, they had no idea that he was about to later. He, in the next three years, he was going to personalize this power in a way they could not fathom. So much so that they would weep at the fact that he had died. Then he would come back to life and they were shocked and overwhelmed that he was back to life. And then they weep again when he says, it's for your benefit that I leave. I'm going to leave and I'm going to send you him. John, write this down, John 14, 15, 16. I don't have time to go through those today, but all three of those chapters, Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit, and he always references the Holy Spirit as him. Him. He's a person of the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He's a person, and he wants a personal relationship with you. Some of you have been Christians for a long time, and you felt like there hasn't been this personal relationship. That is where you need to give the Holy Spirit access and invite him in. And so John 14, 15, 16, he's painting that picture. And I'll just say for Shauna and I, like, I grew up in a traditional background. I didn't know what that meant. And, and I also did. Which is true. I did. You know, my grandpa was yeah. a Southern Baptist preacher, and so I grew up in an even more traditional, I would say. We always joke. when I, I grew up at a church, Baptist church. Love our, I, I love Baptists. I went to Baptist Bible College. Nothing against them. Um, but we had about 700 people. And I was like, yeah, we're really traditional. Then I went to Bethlehem Baptist. Then he came to my church. <laughs> and he whipped out his iPad. And every eye in the room went, what do you have in here? What are you doing with that thing? And um, I think one of my favorite, this is a side note. Oh, gosh. But one of my favorite life moments with you. It's very hard to embarrass him. Um, and what I didn't warn him whenever he came to Bethlehem Baptist Church is that it was his birthday week. And um, we were we had our pews, and my granny sat here. Y'all, no, we're sat, talking 50 people on a good day. On a good day. My granny sat here. I sat here, and I said, Granny, guess what last week was? What, baby doll? It was his birthday. Oh. <laughs> she slips me a dollar bill, and I just give John a dollar bill, and he's just holding on to it. Like, what's this? Lowell. <laughs> Lowell. Granny interrupts the service. Her husband name's Lowell. She just calls him out in the middle of the service. Like, we have a birthday. <laughs> they said, get up there. I got a dollar. I'm like, am I going to dance? Like, what are we doing? What he didn't know is you put it in the crochet church on top of the pulpit. Someone just said yes. This is a thing? <laughs> no, and, and Look, I was, there was a big Bible on, uh, on the he front. He put the dollar in the Bible. I don't know. <laughs> I said, no, you're doing it wrong. It's one of my favorite And then they all sang happy ever. birthday to me. He was. Bro, it was brutal. No, well, we should not do that. And actually, his birthday is Thursday. So. I, will, I, will go, I will go find. <laughs> if y'all sing happy birthday, I'll go find another church next week. You hear me? <laughs> he won't do it. He won't do it. <laughs> Anyways, let's move on because it's 1207. But at, and that's so true that both of us had this traditional background. The difference was. Is that I was also, every other Sunday, I was in a different house, and so I was at a different church on a different Sunday that believed in a very different, they kept the main thing the main thing, but I was exposed to things that they we believed had in the fullness never of the been Holy exposed Spirit. to. And so I didn't have that background. I knew she believed some things about the Holy Spirit that my traditional background and schooling said were not true. And so I never studied for myself. I just believed man on a subject about the Bible. Instead of asking the Holy Spirit, which Jesus said, he will come and lead and guide you in all truth. I finally got to a point where I was like, Holy Spirit, will you lead and guide me in truth instead of me letting that person lead and guide me in truth? Which I just want you to know, if you're part of Voyage Church, we don't lead and guide you in truth. The Holy Spirit does that. The Holy Spirit is your teacher. We're shepherds, but the Holy Spirit brings the revelation. And so um, for me, it was... She was the first person that I knew, we were dating, that had a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. I'd never seen that before. And I was in a season of ministry early on where I was exhausted. I was just trying to preach all the time to teenagers and was just wore out. And she told me one day, John, I've actually never said this to anyone. We were dating. I lived in Louisiana. She lived in, in Florida. She said, you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. I was like, great, this girl, I like her a lot. She actually likes me, which doesn't happen often. And now she's weird and thinks weird stuff about the Holy he Spirit. He hung up the phone and told his roommate, like, she does not know anything. <laughs> I, I told my roommate, actually, I said, she doesn't know the Bible. Those were the words I used to my roommate um, in Bible college. And I graduated. She ends up telling me, hey, you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I said, 
I will study it out, partly because I was like, this girl likes me. Like, I I just got to keep, right? But I did end the conversation by saying, but if I come back to something with you don't like, that you don't like, I'm, you know, I'm sorry. Don't get upset. And so I said, okay, and hung up the phone. And I was in the car with my mom because our tradition was church, lunch. I ride with her. And she was like, baby, it sounded like an important conversation, so I didn't want to interrupt you. So you're coming to Bible study with me. I said, you go to Bible study on Sundays? I didn't know. (laughs) And so I was like, okay. So I walk in the room, and they were like, we've never done this before, but we think that today we need to pray for those in your life that they need the baptism of the Holy Spirit, or you feel like they need something like that. And I was was like, oh, snap, you really do want him to have that, God. (laughs) And so that took me on a journey where I did. I, I just began to open the word. And honestly, I started studying it to disprove it. And every time I tried to disprove it, the word would disprove me. And I think that's one of my favorite things about you is that when you, you're the most teachable person I know, period. And that when you say you're going to study something, like it's frontwards, backwards, like, yeah, I love that. And I just want to say, if you're in the room and you're like, man, when you start talking about the Holy Spirit, I feel like a knee-jerk reaction in my spirit. Don't ever get to a place where you're not teachable. When you stop being teachable, you stop being leadable. And we are to be led by the Spirit. And so, man, go on that journey, whatever that looks like for you. Again, no one's saying that their experience has to look, yours has to look like theirs. And that's where, in charismatic circles, there's a lot of unhealth that was done is, well, this happened to me when I encountered the Holy Spirit, so I'm going to replicate that for you. And that's comfortable it's controlling. It feels good to be like, oh, wow, look what, look what they did. Look what happened at the altar. But can I just tell you that at our church, I believe I've seen the power of God move. I, we've seen it at this altar right here. And wherever God takes us next, we're going to see it at that altar. But do you want to know where the power's at? I, I'm not interested in like a bunch of Sunday morning hooting and hollering and crazy stuff happening if you don't have power with the Holy Spirit on Tuesday morning. If you don't know how to pray in the spirit over your children when they're in the crib at night. When I was on the indoor bike in my garage just a few days ago, weeping and praying in the spirit, as I'm just processing some things as a man, remove the pastor hat of wanting to be the man and the husband and father that God's called me to be. And I'm just praying in the spirit, weeping as I'm pedaling this bike in the garage, singing that song. God, pour it out, pour it out. The Holy Spirit is an everyday kind of power. Not a Sunday performance. Yeah, if we had to pick where are the moments happening, if it's here or if it's in living rooms, we're picking living rooms every, every time. day. Every day. Because I'll tell you, and you, if you've been to church here, you've heard it. Obviously, we got a really short notice about being asked to leave the school. But if there's days where this is illegal, we'll just go back to upper room days. Because the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. We'll gather however we have to gather. It will not be stopped, but we won't do it without the Holy Spirit. And so the second point is this. He comforts us in our grieving, but he himself can be grieved. This is a a two-part point, but it's very important for you to understand this. The first thing is in John chapter 11. I don't have time to read all all the, the whole passage there, but verses 17 through 39, John 11, 17 through 39. This is Jesus being told that his best friend Lazarus is sick. And Jesus says, well, his, his sickness won't end in death. And Jesus stays where he is. Then a few days later, Jesus says, let's go. Well, they get word that Lazarus is already dead. And as Jesus is on his way, the, uh, the sisters of Lazarus run to Jesus and say, Jesus, if you would have been here, our brother would not have died. Now, we can all agree the ladies are grieving, Yes. But I want you to notice, again, the personalization that the women have with Jesus. I don't know what your personal relationship with God looks like, but they had so much personal relationship that they felt that they could storm and march right up to him and say, if you would have been here, this wouldn't have happened. I'll be honest. I'm looking at someone sideways. You come up on Jesus like that. (laughs) I don't think you could do that. But they knew Jesus as a person. You had a closeness. When was the last time in your dark, difficult valley season, you went in your backyard and you let God have it? God, why would you be doing this? God, where were you? Because what some of you need to know is that that's not sacrilegious. That's actually revealing that you have a personal relationship and God's a big boy and he can handle it. 
And some of you need to get that stuff out because God needs it out. And God needs to move you to a place of trust and obedience. And he needs to move you beyond your bitterness. I'm, I'm preaching better than you're acting right now because none of this is in my notes. I'm telling you that these women marching up to Jesus reveals the personal relationship that they had. But the crazy part of the story is while Jesus comes to be present in their grieving, and I want you to know the Holy Spirit will comfort you in your grieving. He will. If you are in this room and you're grieving today, the Holy Spirit is your comforter. But what we've done far too often is we've done a great job of creating counterfeit comfort. So when the Holy Spirit shows up, he says, I can't do my job because you've done a really jacked up version of it. And until you're ready to relinquish that, I can't come in and be who I am. I want the comforter. I want the comforter. And so I don't want to build my own comforts. What is that? Is that God pulling the rug out from under you on a Tuesday evening telling you, hey, go ahead and try to relocate over 500 people? We're either comfortable at Pea Ridge or the Holy Spirit's our comfort, one or the other, right? And so the Holy Spirit, he's a person, and he comes to bring you comfort, especially when you're in your grieving times. We've walked through so much grief in different seasons. Brianna, who was leading worship today, just sent us a video of a young man that we pastored for many years who's just such a joy and an honor to be around. And, and he took his life a year and a half ago. And, you know, we're not in that season at that church any longer, but she just sent it, and it was just him being silly and goofy. And we were all on a retreat with our SEU students, and he loved the Lord and seeing the lies of the enemy. Like, it did. It brought just like a sense of grief again to me the other night. I was like, dang. But it was in that moment, it'd be like, Holy Spirit, thank you that you're so close in those moments. But I, w- I don't want you to miss the fullness of, of this passage here with Lazarus. Is that, yes, Jesus will bring comfort to our grief. The Holy Spirit will bring comfort to your grief. But do you know what Jesus was also in the scripture? He was grieved. And I promise you this. Hermeneutically, which means how we interpret and break down scripture. Jesus was not grieved because Lazarus died. Jesus can handle death, Right? He's got that on lock. He was grieved because of their lack of faith. I wrote this down when it comes to the Holy Spirit. His grief was in their disbelief. I want you to know that as a follower of Jesus, you and I can grieve the Holy Spirit. Here's what it says in Ephesians 4, 29 through 30. Let no unwholesome talk proceed from your mouth, but only such a word that is good for the edification of um, according to the need of the moment. Has everybody spoke and not the need of the moment? You, you said something like, oh, moment didn't need that, right? Only speak a word of encouragement for the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. But verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. I want you to know there's many ways we can grieve the Holy Spirit, but the quickest way is with our words. Here's a perfect example that I heard one time and it shifted everything for me. Fathers, if you've ever spoken to your sons in a way that's just not okay, wrong, and then you've gone to them and been like, son, dad was wrong. I'm sorry. I apologize for speaking to you that way. Your wife was upset with you. And your son's like, dad, it's okay. Love you. There's forgiveness. Good. Three days later, your wife just kind of seems a little, little cold shoulders. Babe, is everything okay? You good? She just turns around. I just still kind of upset the way you talked to him the other day. That was three days ago. We're good. We talked. Forgiveness. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Father, Son, there's forgiveness, but the Holy Spirit can be grieved. And that, he's just said yes. Y'all saw that? (laughs) Um, He can be grieved. And if he can be grieved, here's what I want to be clear today. I don't want you thinking like, well, I'm just terrible, and I just grieve the Holy Spirit and walk around feeling bad. Walk around asking the Holy Spirit to reveal if there's anything in you that is grieving him and ask him to get rid of it, the stuff that slows us down or entangles us. Yeah, um, I think, no, I know. The Holy Spirit's job is to comfort, and it's endless. He has an endless supply. Where where we find comfort here on earth, at some point it's going to end. But with the Holy Spirit, endless. And the reason he comforts us is not for a singular situation. It's to comfort us so that we can comfort others. He comforts from certain situations and he comforts for other situations to come. And I love that about him. And when it comes to grieving the Holy Spirit and when he reveals things in our lives that he's like, hey, 
that's that's entangling you. That's distracting you. There's more. Yeah. It's for freedom's sake. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Amen. And it's so we can run our, our race well. It's never to be like, shame on you. You know better. I'm disappointed. That's not the heart of the Father. No. And, and when we get close to the Holy Spirit, the Bible actually says that God draws us by his loving kindness. What you begin to find more of, and if you have maybe a background where you have this picture of an angry God in the sky, as you begin a close personal relationship, asking God to reveal the person of the Holy Spirit to you, what you'll begin to find is that his goodness abounds. You'll begin to see more of his goodness. You'll get, you, you will focus more on the goodness of who he is than who you're not. And only the Holy Spirit can do that. And then the third and final point is this. He helps us remain. If you were here several weeks ago, I preached a message with John 15, and I said this. Jesus is speaking, and he's like, hey, I'm the vine, and you're the branches. And I talked about how, like, I kind of used a little joke to be like, hey, you know what you got to do to remain in Jesus, right? You got to have perfect attendance at church, and you got to read your Bible at 6 a.m. every morning. You got to have, like, an hour of prayer every day. No. Jesus gave one qualification if we want to stay close to him. And he literally used the word remain or abide. Remain. You and I will not remain without the power of the Holy Spirit. It won't happen. It won't happen. And so much so that I would say that Jesus is not coming back for saved people. I know, I know if you grew up in church, you're like, hold up. Where is he going? Jesus said to his very own disciples, when the Son of Man returns, how many on earth will he find that have faith? He's coming back for faithful people who can endure and remain. Because there will be people who will walk away from the faith. It's why this thing's called Voyage Church. Shauna and I have watched many people walk away. We've, for over a decade, led people to Jesus and pointed them and seen God do miraculous things, and I've watched them walk away from the Lord. There's actually a guy, I didn't even share this in the first service. There's a guy I mentioned three times in the Bible. His name's Demas. Y'all, we about to, there are demons up in here. That's what there is. Um, I think they're working on some stuff in the back. All good. Um, we'll have it figured out for our new location. Amen? But this guy, Demas, gets mentioned three times in Scripture. The first time he gets mentioned by Paul as a fellow worker. The second time he gets mentioned, it says, hey, me and Luke and Demas send our greetings. And the third time, Paul says, hey, will someone come and visit me quickly? For Demas has deserted me, for he loves the comforts of this world. Do you know what's interesting about the name Demas in Greek? The name Demas in Greek, it literally means popular. In other words, Demas went back to what was popular to what everyone else was doing. When Jesus comes back, he's coming back for people who have the personal power of the Holy Spirit and who have remained. Will you remain? Will you remain in the good seasons and the bad seasons? And I'm telling you, it won't happen without closeness to the Holy Spirit. We were talking about that. Yeah, I mean, I think the temptation often when trials come is to run, flee, get away retreat. I mean, that's what the disciples did whenever the crucifixion happened, right? They fled. They didn't remain. And the other day I was praying, um, God, when I feel weak and want to leave, help me stay and be my strength. And that's been my prayer often because many of you know we moved here. We made this giant leap. I thought having a uh, how old was Canyon at the time? We have a seven-year-old, or at that time we had a five-year-old, and we had a little baby boy. And I thought, whoa, we're crazy with that, moving over here to plan a church without family here. And then Canyon is nine months old, and we find out, oh, you're having twins. <laughs> and so talk about being in one of the most vulnerable places. That's where I've felt lately. And so often I'm like, Holy Spirit, empower me. Holy Spirit, be my strength. Give me the words to say to others when I feel like I have nothing to give. The fact that we're on this platform together this morning after we've had almost a month of sickness going rampant in our house is just a testament of God and his faithfulness because I told John, I was like, I have nothing. But Holy Spirit does. Jesus is good. Um, but speaking of remaining and speaking of the women that followed Jesus, I just had this thought of Mary and Martha. And if you remember in Luke 10, um, 
there's a scripture in verse 38 that talks about Martha and Mary. And it says, as Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister, Mary, sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. And she came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? I love it. I love the unfiltered. It's just like, God, Jesus, fix my sister. Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. And I think Jesus realized, I am going to be taken away. So I'm not going to take this away from her right now. Those details will figure themselves out. But right now, this is the greater thing. And so God laid on my heart, you have to lean into the greater one to know what the greater thing is as you walk through life, because there's always going to be something that tries to distract you from the greater thing. So you have to get this lean in. And so fast forward um, to whenever Jesus is being crucified, and this is in, this scripture is in Mark 15, and it says, verse 40, some women were there watching from a distance, including Mary Magdalene, Magdalene, sure, Magda, who, Mary, we the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph, and Salome. They had been followers of Jesus and had cared for him while he was in Galilee. Many other women who had come with him to Jerusalem were also there. Your habits matter. Their habit was that they served Jesus. Their habit was is that they sat and they served. It's not one or the other. It's leaning into the greater. And so the greater there was like, we're not abandoning, abandoning you, Jesus. We're here. We're watching from a distance, but we're here. And I was reading... Um, the original language, it means looking on, which means to observe something with sustained attention, considerable attention to detail. The women did not flee, but they remained and they watched the details because scholars say that they had to know that there were details that were witnessed and these women were the ones that remained. Everybody else fled, but they were there. And then my favorite, one of my favorite times is whenever you were talking about the tomb and you're like, who's gonna roll away the big rock? And the women are like, I don't know, we're going, you know? <laughs> and what's so cool, I, I, I'd never, until she brought this up to me the other day, I'd never caught the, they watched from a distance. And that distance wasn't because they were scared. They were, would not have been allowed by the Romans, the, the government, to get close. But they remained, even when it felt they were at a distance. Can I just say that when you're in a season where you feel distant from the Lord, the Holy Spirit and his consistency and his faithfulness and his principles will allow you to remain. But what I love is that that happens. We know the women are at the cross. They're there with John. They actually hear him say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then it says when Joseph of Arimathea buries the body of Jesus, it says the women sat opposite the tomb. They were there when he went in. And then on day three, they're the ones carrying the spices to go anoint the body of Jesus. Like she said, with, I don't know who's going to roll a stone away, but they were so close to Jesus that they were going to honor his body even when he was dead. And I, we're taking you on a journey here to close this out, and I hope you don't miss this, is that these ladies had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ of Nazareth. They knew him. They knew what his favorite food was. They knew what, they, they knew what, um, what would irk him. And, yes, Jesus got frustrated. I mean, there's quite a few times he said, you crooked and perverse generation, okay? He walked into a temple, started cracking a whip and flipping tables, all right? He didn't sin, but he got frustrated. They knew Jesus, and so to now not have the, the closeness with the one that they believe is the one, everything is so confusing at this point. And then he comes back to life, and they're like, oh, my gosh, he, he did it. And then he says, I'm going to leave, and it's better that I leave. And then for 10 days, he's gone. He's revealed himself to for sure we know over 500 people. And I know you've said it, and I've said it too. If I could have seen Jesus resurrected from the dead, I would have no problem staying faithful to God. Then why were only 120 people in the upper room? Over 500 people saw a resurrected body with holes in his hands and holes in his feet, and they didn't remain. If people couldn't remain 10 days, I guarantee you that there are going to be people over 2,000 years later who are going to struggle to remain if they are not in closeness with God. So look what happens from the tomb to the room, Acts 1. This is our last scripture, verse 13. When they arrived, 
They went to the upstairs room of the house where they were staying. This is the upper room moment. Here are the names of those who were present. Now, I've always asked myself when I started studying, man, I want to know who the 120 people were. And it doesn't give us 120 names. It gives who you would think, Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, Judas, the son of James, not Judas Iscariot, because he already did that. And I would, I would think that. That's where I would kind of stop. Okay, yeah, for sure them. Who else? But I love that the scripture goes on to say they all met together and were constantly united in prayer for 10 days. 10 days of church, y'all. They ain't leave. They ain't leave. Go ahead and think about that. Think about how fast that church is going to grow, right? How many, how many services y'all have? Oh, just one. It just goes for 10 days. <laughs> they all met together, constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the, brother of, and the brothers of Jesus. The women were there, and what was about to happen? The Holy Spirit was about to be poured out, and Jesus was about to personalize this on a level that they just have always been around God. And I don't want you to miss this this morning. This is what we leave you with. But Pentecost, the tomb to the room, was to move you from being around God, believing things about God, reading about God, to God being in you. You are invited to have the Holy Spirit live within you. We either believe this or we don't. And at this church, we believe it. We believe it. And it's empowerment. And it's not empowerment for you to act a fool. It's empowerment for you to remain, for you to stay, that you're on the voyage of following Jesus, that you can be empowered. Do you know what I care more about? I care more about you getting a word for somebody at Publix. You're at the line. Early in our marriage, I was like, man, this woman is so close to the Holy Spirit. It's crazy. Every time we go to the the grocery store she knows everybody's name and she didn't even live in the town we, I mean I'd been there for a year we moved to Louisiana she was like hey Sue hey Becky and every time I turned back golly she, the Holy Spirit's just giving her people's names man she's or like, a name tag you know yeah and then I realized those name tags <laughs> and what I found was is that the power and personalization of the Holy Spirit doesn't go without common sense because what I would watch her do often at call it the power of, of Publix now, I would watch her speak words over people and pray over people and think to myself, I didn't even know the gospel was allowed to be lived like this. I thought it was relegated to an hour or an hour and a half here. Some of you need to know as you step into personalization with the Holy Spirit, he's about to empower you to operate in the prophetic and you're going to speak into people, and some of the greatest moves of the Holy Spirit are not going to happen in here. They're going to happen all around our city. And if someone talks about Voyage Church, it's going to be because, I don't know, this lady says she went to Voyage Church. She said they don't have a home in two weeks, but the Holy Spirit just showed up on aisle 13. <laughs> That's all I know. Where's their church? I don't, I don't even think she knows. <laughs> because this power is an everyday kind of power. It's why Jesus told them, don't leave Jerusalem until this happens. Because you're about to head out from city to city, village to village. And you're going to need him. You're going to need him. And so our prayer, as we step into this series, and next week, I'm going to go and let you know, today was, who is he? He's a person. Hope you got, that was our one point sermon for today, okay? Walk away with that. If you walk away with nothing else, he's a person. Next week, we're going to ask the question, is he, is he charismatic? I'm going to tell you if the Holy Spirit's charismatic or not. I'm going to teach you what charismatic means. I'm going to make sure you don't have an unhealthy perspective of charismatic. I'm going to give you the actual literal translation of charis, charisma, what it means. But is he charismatic? And does he want things to be produced in our lives for his glory and for the sake of others? I hope you don't miss what she said because there's some of you in here, you need the comfort of the Holy Spirit, but it's not going to stop with you. Do you want to know why? Because I met with someone at lunch the other day, and they said, I've got this family member and this family member that I'm praying for, and I just want to get them to church. And I want you to invite your, your friends and your families, but I want you to know this. Be encouraged today that the Holy Spirit isn't waiting on them to get in the room. He's waiting for you to get in their room because the Holy Spirit's in you. Will you stand to your feet this morning? The team's going to lead us for the next few moments, and here's what I'm going to lead you in. And we did this last service. 
I can't make this, I can't make it personal for you. Shauna and I can share and invite you and show you the truth in the scriptures. But what I want to do for the next few moments as the team leads us, and I want you to do whatever he says. Maybe you just need to sit in your seat, forget everybody else in the room. If you're in here today and you've never seen the Holy Spirit as a person, maybe you're in, you're in here and you're like, whoa, this is, this is a first. I want to invite you on an incredible voyage of asking God to reveal the person of the Holy Spirit to you. The most powerful pray, prayer you could pray today is, God, make this personal. Make this personal. God, take me, take me on this journey. I want to know you. I want to know you because everything that the Holy Spirit wants to bring in your life is useful for now. It's now. The Holy Spirit was given to us for now on the earth, not for later. Maybe you, you and your spouse want to come to the altar, whatever that looks like for you. But I want to invite you in these next few moments. And I will be honest, I wasn't sure how this was going to go in first service. I was blown away of people just up here just praying that simple prayer. God, make it personal. Holy Spirit, I want to know you because and I want to say this over you today. Some of you need to make this statement. Holy Spirit, you are my God. The first time I ever heard that, my religious spirit did a knee-jerk reaction. I was in a 2001 Chevrolet Cavalier with no AC driving from painting houses. And I heard a, a sermon and the pastor said, can you say, Holy Spirit, you're my God? And I was like, you can't say that. And then the thoughts, I was like, why can't I say that? And that might not be your story, but my story was God is God. Holy Spirit is whatever he is over there somewhere, whatever that is. Holy Spirit's your God, and he is God within you. He's God for you. Will you invite him this morning to make it personal? I'm going to pray over you. Now, however, if you want to come to the altar, if you want to sit in your seat, if you want to ask a friend, hey, will you pray over me? I don't even know how to ask for this, but I want this. I want this. I want to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I want to be immersed in the things of God. If that's you, ask. Ask. That's the only requirement. So Jesus, right now, I pray, Lord, that the truth of your word, God, where maybe there's someone even after all this is like, I just don't see the point. God, would you make it personal today? God, that we can't live a Christian life knowing about you, but not having you. Holy Spirit, we invite you within today. Take us on a journey. We want, we want to be personal with you, God. We want to know you. God, we want to be known by you. So we give you permission in these next moments right now, Father, before we step out to live a life of this power being made alive in us, we give you permission to make it personal in Jesus' name.
Father, we just thank you for a hunger, a hunger in the room, God. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you comfort us. I just sense in this moment right now that some of you down here, that's the need right now as a comfort that only the Holy Spirit can bring. And so I pray that every weight and sin that so easily entangles you, that you throw it off. And by the comfort of the Holy Spirit, you run with eyes locked on Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. The Holy Spirit, I want to be really clear today because there's someone, even when we talked about grieving the Holy Spirit, you feel like he leaves you. Remember the mom that I said felt grieved? Guess what that mom did for three days? She was grieving. She woke up and took care of those kids. She loved on her husband. She was in the house. Grief didn't make her leave. I want to be very clear today. If there's something in your life you're like, man, I think that this might be grieving the Holy Spirit. He's not leaving you. He's not lifting until you get right. He's staying so that you can get right. Thanks for tuning in. Make sure to check us out on thevoyage.church to stay updated on everything God is doing in our city.